Light, the entertainment lighting podcast. Thanks for downloading. We're talking about lighting, the people that do it, and how they do what they do. We're on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. We tweet at Podcasting Light, and you can find us on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Marin. My co-host this week is Teresa Unfried of Taj Event Production. How are you doing, Teresa? I'm doing wonderful. Nice to be here again. Excellent. I'm glad to have you. Uh, where can people find some more information about Taj? Taj Event Productions can be found online, of course, at tajeventproductions.com. Um, we have a Facebook page under Taj Event Productions and a Twitter account under at Taj Events. There's an Instagram out there somewhere, too, but I, I don't know how to find that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Today on the podcast, our guest is Al Crawford. He's a lighting designer who works across just about every genre of work there is. He works in theater, he works in dance, basically every kind of performance. He works in architecture. He's the lighting director for the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, and he has been since 1998. He's a serious power player in this business, and we are thrilled he's here with us today. Thank you for joining us, Al. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, How you doing? I'm brilliant, actually. I'm having a great time. Good. Yeah, it's what? holidays. I'm home. I'm sleeping in my own bed. You know, these are rare things in my world, and so I I have very few complaints. Excellent. Um, so being at home is unusual for you. Why? Well, uh, a lot of my work, um, luckily, and uh, and you know, it's a challenge sometimes as well. But uh, I travel quite a bit. So um, primarily, uh, my quote unquote day job, as we like to joke about in my world. Um, the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. I've been the lighting director there for 17 years. And so um, in those 17 years, uh, we've traveled to over 70 countries and 48 states and consistently. So every year, it's about nine or 10 months a year, uh, we oversee every performance in every theater worldwide. So that keeps me moving alone, being one of... um, my very important projects. Now, is that always you? Is that primarily you? Uh, it is not always me. I have a great associate, Roya Abab, um, who's been with me a number of years. And so depending on the season and what's going on um, with the Ailey Company or with other projects, uh, we tend to tag team a little bit and make it work, which is great. Well, I mean, since um, since the Ailey thing is the one people is – the, is the thing people probably know you for the best at this point. Um, why don't you talk a little about what your job is there and what it's, what the responsibilities are and how you handle it? Absolutely. Um, lighting director is the name of the position. So um, it's the lighting director of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. Um, Alvin Ailey Dance Foundation, which is a larger company, um, Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater being the main touring company underneath Alvin Ailey Dance Foundation. Uh, we tour all over the world um, doing performances. Uh, it is a repertory American modern dance company, which basically means uh, we're doing lots of different ballets with lots of different creations uh, that are made by choreographers uh, that have their own lighting designers, have their own costume designers, their own musicians, their own composers, etc. cetera. Uh, and because it's repertory, uh, it, it could be completely different every night, every performance, every venue. Um, we would travel with some, anywhere from 15 to 20 ballets and those, the combination of those ballets on any given evening uh, could be different. So a huge part of my job is to bring uh, a level of consistency to the production 
every night in every venue um, and keep it on budget, on time, on schedule, working with the rest of our crews and our production teams at Alvin Ailey uh, to bring the lighting uh, performances all over the world. So um, that's primarily my job. Uh, secondarily, it's it's the management of this fast repertory. Um, right now, over 300 ballets in the, um, the repertory, you know, Actively, there's probably 20 to 25 that we're doing. Uh, we're in our New York season here at City, New York City Center Theater, which is great. I think we're doing 25 ballets in repertory over a five-week season. So um, it's about you know working with all of the lighting designers represented. Um, I certainly have ballets in the repertory, but uh, everything is not mine for sure. Um, and we love having different lighting designers because it brings a really variety of voices to the look of the shows and the performances. So managing that repertory, um, as you might imagine, there's significant amount of paperwork that we create uh, well, so that we did, reference. Did know. they, uh, did the designers just give you what they want and then you create the paperwork based on the Alvin, Alvin like the, like the specifications for Alvin Ailey lighting paperwork? Yeah. It's, it, every scenario is a little bit different. Um, you know, some situations will start with our repertory plot, which we really um, try to uh, help them use. Um, try to keep you know, it to that yeah, as absolutely, much as possible. As much yeah. as possible, because from a touring perspective, that really helps. But there's some things that just don't work in our repertory, and we might have systems we need to add or specials we need to add. But um, So we work with each designer individually to find out what their needs are. Um, and then they come in and we do technical rehearsals and, and create the work on the company. Uh, and then hopefully in the end, it's something that we're able to tour and we're able to do consistently around. So, um, you know, those are my two primarily, uh, specific job duties. So. What's the process of advancing a show like, and then what's the process of doing a show on the road like? Well, you know, with time it becomes, um, it becomes, uh, I wouldn't say the word easier, but it becomes more instinctual. You know, before I I would call every single theater and I would talk to every single technical director. I'd look at every single front of house plan to see if they could handle us. And and, and now we've been to a lot of these places. We have a lot of annual theaters, right? So um, we spend the time, uh, you know, we'll call, you know, I'll call my buddy Mickey Barra in the Kennedy Center and I'll say, hey, Mickey, how are you? Good. And we'll talk about, you know, what, his golf swing and we'll talk about, you know, the places he's eaten in the last week, what restaurants are new in DC and said, Oh yeah, see you next week. Okay, great. And that's our advance. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. you, you start a relationship with these well, folks the familiarity and, and, yeah, and, you, and know you have a conversation and you have, and you touch base and you know, he knows in that conversation, if I had something I need to tell him that was going to be different than what we've done in the past, um, I would have brought it up. But um, that, that tends to be my advance these days, which a lot of the, with a lot of these places. Other places we haven't been to, we will really look at the theater. We will really pay attention to the equipment and the things that they've got there. But keep in mind, Alvin Ailey travels with uh, literally everything in the kitchen sink. Uh, right now, we're four semi trucks. Wow, it's a lot for a dance company. That is it's a, a lot, lot for a modern dance company. It's a truck of lights, so we travel with ab- upstage of the proscenium, absolutely everything: dimmers, control, lighting. Meat racks. On meat racks? Everything. It's, it's prepped within an inch of its life. Uh, subfloor, Marley floor on top, uh, all the scrims, all the soft goods, legs and borders if needed, um, a truck of costumes. You know, we're 30 dancers, uh, 25 ballets in repertory, no dancer shares a costume. Do the math. It's a lot of costumes. That is a lot of costumes. A lot of wardrobe. 
uh, and 15 full-time production. It's a yellow card tour. Um, and, uh, you know, we spend maybe seven months in the U.S. and the rest of the year overseas um, and creating new works. We do two New York seasons now, one at Lincoln Center um, at the, the New York State Theater, as I continue to <laughs> refer to it as, um, uh, and, uh, of course, New York City Center in the winter. So right. that kind of tends to be our cycle. Uh, but in terms of advance, um, it, you know, we just make sure that we have the appropriate front of house uh, materials in terms of lights. We tend to embrace front of house plans when we get there. And I know I have seven washes and six specials, and I need to sort of make that work with whatever they have. And I, I like I, I tend to like to do that as opposed to making someone completely rehang their front of house plan, which no one, you know, you're, you're, not, no making one likes fr- to do. you're not making friends that way. So. Yeah. And so, you know, the touring piece is a gr- is a great fun. It's a lot of f- you learn a lot about um, yourself traveling <laughs> around the world all the time. You you know, um, I've certainly changed by the touring. You know, being in all these places and cultures around the world um, certainly has changed me and my eye and my aesthetic about you know culture and food and all of it. So it's um, it's been really good for me. You know, seven you know been on the road seventeen years. Uh, I don't see the end in sight because it's a great life. So, um, uh, you know, with, if you turn with meat racks, you're really, you're really set up to do presidium houses. That's correct. Yeah, uh, have you Do you tour to non-presidium houses, and what do you do when you do? Absolutely. Um, you know, our meat racks are all Unistru- classic source fours on Unistrut bars with Clancy clamps. So the beautiful thing about a Clancy clamp is, as, as I like to joke, you could hang it on a tree. Um, it doesn't have to be a regular pipe. It could be a two-by-four. It could be a piece of steel, angle iron, it could be anything. Um, and we certainly have hung it on just about everything. Um, you know, we play everything from classic theaters, like you would, might think, like, um, you know, Chatelet in Paris or the Kennedy Center, um, the Arch Center in Miami, which are all sort of classic proscenium theaters, to the Herod Atticus Odeon in Athens, which is, you know, outdoor proscenium ampi- or outdoor um, open sky amphitheater, one of the oldest performance spaces in the world. Um, to a, you know a beach in Cyprus, to a you know an open space um, on top of a mountain somewhere. You know we've we played it all, um, from building a truss rig to um, you know ground supported systems. You know the like we've pretty much seen every scenario you might imagine. Uh, a lot of concert halls. You know that seems to be a very um, popular thing right now in in Germany. Is there's a million concert halls, so they're like well. They, and the concert halls tends to have more seats than the theaters. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, you know, your average, even a performing arts center in the United States, the concert hall is the big space. And that's yeah. the space that Ellie has to go into because otherwise you'll they, have to have a one month long run. Yeah, we need to sell the tickets. And right. we and we tend to only stay in a place uh, a week or less. Um, so, you know, it's it's about numbers and math. And, and math. So um, they're more likely to invest in us going in and building a whole super truss and a truss rig and legs and borders and and, you know, ground-supported if need be, um, literally building a stage in a theater, a proscenium theater in a non-proscenium space to gain the seats, you know. And that's just the business of the theater, you know. So you arrive at the theater on the morning of, like, so what's your schedule like on tour? It's actually pretty miraculous. Um, it's a choreographed ballet, we like to say it. So domestic. I was talking about the load-in. <laughs> I, am t- I am too, actually. Um, we load in starting at 8 a.m. in an empty theater. Right, so you hope it's empty. We've asked for it to be empty, which means, <laughs> you know, house electrics and you know all their legs and borders and all their drops and the nutcracker set that's up there all the time. Take Gone. it down, right. take it down, 
Right. The panto or something. Yes. <laughs> Everything but, you know, the the um, classic, you know, um, acoustical clouds that are always in the way in every theater in the U.S. Um, yes, I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we come into an empty theater at 8 a.m. Uh, we begin hanging our overhead electrics, uh, unloading our electrics truck first. Um, and by noon, four hours later, the entire rig, overheads, booms, front of house, is up, circuited, and flashed out. Four hours. How many people do you have on that? Uh, it's usually about um, 16 electricians. So the total local crew is about 40. Okay. And our touring crew is about 15. Wow. Um, so it's uh, it's down to the minute. I can tell you within it, within minutes how far or ahead or behind schedule I am on any given day. So at noon, we're up and ready. We have a fully working rig. We go to lunch. We come back at 1 o'clock. We start focusing it. We have a system of focus that allows us to focus multiple positions at the same time. Our head electrician is focusing the overheads. He knows the focus of every light. I or my associate focus the side light with a local and the front light with a local, sometimes at the same time. If we're feeling like we've got time, we might do one and then another. Um, sometimes we're done focus of the entire rig by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 4 o'clock at the latest, because the dancers take the stage at 4 o'clock for a work light rehearsal. We go away, we take a nap, do whatever we're going to do. We come back for um, preset hour, usually at 7 o'clock for an 8 o'clock performance, and we do some moving light presets that need to be done. We focus some rovers, we check things, we do any little tweaks to focus that we need to, and we do a performance. It all happens the same day that we arrive, which is really, really great for local promoters because they are making money the day we get there. Right? It's not a yeah. two, three day. We're in hotels, we're eating, we're drinking, we're doing all the things and, um, and before they're actually seeing people in seats, um, which is great because you know it's great and crazy for us because <laughs> we can do three cities in a week. We could do a, two, a split week with a one-nighter stuck in the middle. Um, and uh, it depends on repertory. It's all repertory driven. Some ballets are just too big to do in one day. Right. Um, but we do have a, you know, a certain program of ballets that you know, we could do three cities, and it doesn't hurt so bad. You know? so we've gotten good at it. I've done some touring stuff both for you know, sort of combination dance, theater, music, mm -hmm. which is always interesting, and just straight theater. And there definitely sometimes there doesn't seem to be this comprehension that as a designer, part of your job is to make the show able to move quickly. And I've seen cases where designers lost jobs because, well, you need, now we need no, wait, we need a load-in day for your show. Okay, well, we just want to call you back next time, right? Because you're costing us money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, everyone wants to win the Tony, right? So that's what's in the back of their head. Just I'm, <laughs> I'm using that as a sort of facetious, uh, um, yeah, no, not no, no against to the Tonys, you right. know, but. You know, it's that spirit of, oh, this is, has to be the best show I've ever done in the history of my life, and I'm going to take everything down with it to get what I need, right? There's a different mentality, I think, that should be driven first. It's about, you know, how can we create a great piece of theater that's business smart, you know? And that's the thing that's going to give you a long, longevity in your career is being um, having those relationships with the producers and with electricians and allowing you to create work that can actually be uh, sustainable, yes. I think. You know? If you're a great lighting designer and the show looks great, that's a nice icing on the top, <laughs> right? But, you know, 
Okay, so in, in, in addition to all that, you also have your own little empire called Dark 3 Design. Yes. Now, where did that, how did you create that? Why did you create that? And what is its purpose? Uh, about 10 years into being lighting director at the Alvin Ailey Company, you know, I had to focus that first 10 years. It was the first 10 years of my career. I started at Ailey when I was 22 years old, and it was, you know, I had been in New York about a year. Um, and, you know, at the time, I, I assisted some, uh, some very uh, gracious designers when I first came to New York, but fairly quickly I got to Ailey. And so that first 10 years, I was really focused on touring and making sure that worked. Um, after about 10 years, I started to get itchy, right? And not itchy to leave because I love my job. I love the company um, and the work that we're doing there. But I, I felt like I, I needed, um, I needed a, a, a place to, you know, do some other things and to create some other work and to um, explore um, some other things. So uh, I created Arc3 Design. And, and just like all of us, you know, Arc3 Design at the time when it first was created was, it was just me. Right, it's just me and a business card, and I created a company, and it wasn't legit. I didn't have a, didn't have a you know LLC or an incorporation <laughs> or insurance or anything, right? right? You know, it was just me, and I made a business card. Hey, I have a company, right? Um, and so you know, started to try to create some freelance opportunities, and and some things were popping, and I was having a good time, and then just like any company, um, you, you get so you get busy enough that you need help, right? So you. You bring on your buddy, and he starts helping you do stuff and draft, and then you got you have an assistant, and then and then suddenly you need two, and then you need three, and then you it grows, right? That. You know, something about right. that, don't yeah. you, Teresa? A little bit about that, yes. Yeah. Uh, and it just grew, right? So, and then suddenly you've got enough interesting opportunities where you need people to be leaders, and they're not just assistants; they're people they're going to take on jobs and projects and clients, um, and not just represent me, but represent something. Um, you know, larger than me. Um, and I always had this vision of, you know, having a collaborative team of folks that all had a similar aesthetic, had a simpler, uh, similar job um, uh, sort of work mentality. And, uh, you know, that's always been my dream. And, and, and not having it be this enormous company that I lost track of what was going on, right? I still wanted to have it within uh, an arm's reach of of our clientele and of our relationships. Um, and I think we've been able to create that. It's um, Arc3 Design is not an enormous company. It's, you know, six to eight lighting designers. Most of them are freelance in addition to working with Arc3. And I think a lot of companies, um, that, that is a, uh, tends to be a good model because it, you know, from a business perspective, uh, gives everybody flexibility and the freelancers enjoy that because they want to go do things too, you know. So um, it's really a... Um, it's sort of a, a studio concept of, of folks that are all working uh, in a parallel line. And, um, you know, it's been a lot of fun to kind of see it all come together. Uh, and certainly, you know, in this business, annual gigs create uh, the opportunity to have forecasting, to be able to see, you know, how a company can function in the future. And the business that we work in, especially in the live uh, events and um you know, not-for-profit galas and those things that are very annually driven, um, that's allowed me to build a business. And so um, I'm having a great time with that. And it continues to be um, that great sort of companion to the Alvin Ailey work that I do uh, to allow me some place to create and be free and have fun. So, 
Now, what are you doing management-wise to manage those six to eight lighting designers and, you know, explain to them what you're looking for and what they need to do? And and how do you stay a lighting designer yourself when you're managing what is – I mean, it's not a small company, and you do a lot of work. Mm. Uh, you know, I think um, it's pretty casual. Uh, I, I don't mean you – I don't know how I do it. Ultimately, I um, – it's me. There's not, you know um, – you know, there's, uh, I have, there's certainly some level of hierarchy within the company because it's mostly about seniority and people have been there for a while, which is natural. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, we have, I, I purposely do not take on more than I cannot be involved in in some way, right? So I, I try to um, look for projects that uh, we can all work on, that um, it doesn't become so much that uh, my bandwidth is tapped, right? So, and I think that from a clientele perspective, the clients respect that. You know, they, they are interested in, they know that I don't have 20 projects happening simultaneously. I might have two or three or four um, things that are developing at the same time. Uh, but we like to really focus in and create quality work and um, that might not be the best decision for me from a business standpoint, but I tell you, I'm, I'm much happier working in that sort of rhythm. So. It keeps people coming back to you because they know that there's that you're going to concentrate on their project, and they know that they're not just going to be thrown aside, I guess, in some ways. I mean, I've yeah. started finding that too, so. mm-hmm. <clears throat> where it's um, as you're working with people more and more, um, having that attention for them is, is a really great I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's something that your clients do really appreciate. Yeah. Just having the attention span for them and not overworking yourself. Yeah, it's also a quality of life. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I turned forty in about four months, <laughs> and you know it's sort of a big moment for me because I feel like I've had a really I'm having a really great career and I'm enjoying my career. Um, I feel like I want to enjoy a little more life, so. Sure. I want to find that balance, and that balance is working with great clients. We audition clients as much as they audition us. <laughs> it's very true. You know, we really try to. We don't say yes to everything. Um, we have folks that we like to work with. We have folks we love to work with, um, and that's how we decide if we're going to do a project or not. You know, um, and if they're cool projects and it's they're great business decisions, that's cherry on the top. You know, um, I tend to uh, I tend to drive the business from a vibe perspective i'm not a business you know i don't have an mba i don't have a business degree i don't have i'm a lighting designer right so um i've i have hired some management folks you know i have a great operations manager now and a great operations team that uh you know take care of the things like payroll and insurance and keeping the you know bills paid and all those things which are you know imperative um and we can focus on the creation of the work and the sort of day-to-day um creative work which has been a life, you know, a complete life changer. Um, but, you know, I'm really aware of the size of the company and how big it is or how big it could be um, and trying to be careful about it being something larger than I want it to be. I'm very happy with the sort of rhythm that we're working in. So, um, so how did you learn what you know? I mean, obviously, I know you went to NCSA, <laughs> but I question. mean... Uh, through dance, ultimately. I, dance is my springboard, right? So I think when I moved, when I was in college, I really... Well, let me back up just a little bit. So when I, before I went to NCSA, which is, you know, for you, you out there, it's North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, 
currently referred to as the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Not when I went there, though. That's a new addition. Um, but before that, I was a you know I was a your classic kid performer, right? I was in musicals. I was playing cello and piano, and my father's a musician. Um, um, Quite yeah, he, talented he's, one. He's uh, yeah. won a couple awards lately. Yeah, he? they won a Grammy this past year, wow. uh, and you know they've gone gold in you know ten countries in the last six months. You know, crazy, crazy sort of um, life changing experience for my father, but um, which has been fun to watch. But <laughs> you know, I grew up with that, so I grew up with this sort of creative place um, as a toddler, being in the in the clubs in the seventies, you know, watching the lights and watching the pyrotechnics. And, you know, my dad even told me when I was a kid, it was like, you know, boom, boom, you know, I wanted to see the spectacle. It was something that I just, as a kid was really naturally, um, attracted to. And then so, sort of in my, um, young teen years, he took me to see a lot of concerts and I got to see a lot of a live performance things. I was just around it. It was something very natural. Instead of going to, you know, camp, I went and worked at the community theater, right? That was just a natural thing for me to do. So I grew up around this. So it just, it became um, the thing that I knew. Uh, and then I saw, I went to a concert. I went and saw um, Pink Floyd's Pulse Tour. I was 13 years old. Well, I'm probably not you. the only one here. Got you at just the right time, didn't it? 13, mm -hmm. saw Pulse, and my eyes just about popped out of my head. And, you know, I said to my dad, you know, who does that? Who makes that? You know, who creates, who, who gets the opportunity to dream up that and actually put it on stage and create this thing that, um, this, this sort of kinetic visual art that's, you know, intangible in an interesting way, but, you know, so powerful. Um, and my mother and father, who were extremely supportive, um, sent me to Interlochen, which is a performing arts high school. And there uh, I started, studied lighting design. I was a design major uh, and a visual art minor, right? So as a high school student uh, thrown into this, you know, I got really sort of into this lighting piece early on in my teen years. Um, and then I saw Alvin Ailey, a performance, you know, during a holiday, and I was like, whoa, okay. So ultimately got really interested in dance, did the dance performance um, uh, thing. And when I went to UNCSA to do my college years, told my professors I'm really interested in, I was really interested in music and dance. So I knew I wanted to do concert design, which I think a lot of young lighting designers, that tends to be um, something they sort of gravitate to because it's very colorful and fun and, you know, there's a sort of dream of being a, with a rock and roll band and all that, <laughs> you know. Um, and then uh, the dance piece. And so um, I focused on dance a lot uh, while I was at NCSA. And when I came to New York, ultimately um, started using my work in dance as a springboard, uh, to go back to your original question, um, for other things. So, you know, when a client would hire us, you know, even for, let's say, a, you know, a not-for-profit fundraising dinner, uh, they would bring us on because of a certain aesthetic work that they saw in my work at Alvin Ailey, right? And so they would say, oh, how do we translate that to this party or the, to this concert or to this piece of art or to this, you know, whatever it was that we were working on? And um, I, you know, I use that to my advantage. Totally did. Still do, you know. So, um, so what's the answer to that question? How do you mm -hmm. translate that design aesthetic into lighting a state dinner or a gala benefit. 
you know, I think it's about, it's all about curtain up, right? So it's about um, telling a story in some way. And is that story told through um, an environment in which your audience is in? And is, is, is it, you're trying to create a, a space for them that they're going to create their own story in their heads? Is that, what is the story of a dinner? What is the story of a, a ballet? What is the story of a piece of visual art? We start with that, some kind of storytelling. Um, and then bring, you know, this sort of sculpted edge that, you know, people sort of think is the dance world. Um, you know, I'm a dance lighting designer that does all this other stuff ultimately, right? So I think that that's a great place to springboard from because, you know, time is so important. Color is so important. How you b cut up the space and, and how you create space on a stage abstractly is so important. Um, you know, it's uh, how you light something as as abstract as a just a body and trying to tell a story through that uh, medium uh, that I think is easily translated to a lot of other work and so we've tried to do that that's really cool. I mean I totally get it I mean I was infatuated with dance you know early in my career and you know I, I, I love going to see dance still um, you should come see Alvin Ailey I, I, not yeah. like I haven't. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, although, I, you know, quite frankly, at the moment, I, I think the best the best thing I've ever seen remains um, Bill T. Jones' Story Time. Mm -hmm. you, do you know the work? Uh -huh. I know, and I know Bill's work quite well. Yeah. Um, also, I didn't know if you had a chance to see it because it was in was it Montclair, New Jersey, uh -huh. and I think he only just did it a month ago at BAM for the you know in New York for the first time. Right, Robert Rizal, I think, was the lighting designer. If yes. Yes. One Robert Rizal. Yes. Now, um, one of my, one of those cats that I will always be in awe of. I think his aesthetic and his ability to, you know, create space with light is, um, in some ways, uh, unexplainable. When when my wife and I saw Storytime afterwards, I, I was I was like losing my mind. I was just like making all this noise about everything that had happened. The, you know, she had such a way with words. She simply said. The piece got the lighting it deserved. Mm. And I thought that was possibly the highest compliment you could give to someone lighting a Bill T. Jones piece. Now, I know, I know it helps that they've been collaborators for 30 years. Right. But um, sort of bringing this around to the architectural side of your of your business, my wife also works at NJ Pack, mm -hmm. And I know you've done some work there. What have you brought to architectural lighting design as a dance and theatrical lighting designer? that other people perhaps don't or can't, and how do your philosophies translate? Well, that's a great question. I think that, you know, architecture too often um, is thought of as, you know, really just, you know, being able to put light on something so that we see it, right? It's just revelation. Um, and I think that um, as much of a, just like a dance piece where you sit back in the, at the tech table and you look at something, um, you look at the foreground and the midground and the background and the color and and the combination of those things and the brightness of all those things and where where does I our eye go uh, when we look at a stage picture? Uh, I try to translate that to architecture in a similar way. Um, what are we trying? You know, what is a building trying to translate? What do we want to feel like when we are walking up towards a building or an institution? Um, how does the story of that institution translate to what the building looks like? Um, 
what are you know what are the goals of trying to bring community towards a building or um, or a certain spirit towards a building? We take all that into account when we get a project that we ultimately um, are going to work on from an architectural sense, um, so that we can then look at it and go, okay, well, of course we want to make the building beautiful. We want it to be powerful. We want to make a statement. Um, if that's the the goals. Uh, but how do we do that and relate it to all these other things so that um, we're not just an electrical engineer choosing a fixture, putting it up and pointing it at a banner? Um, we we try to really ask ourselves all those questions um, so that ultimately the, the solution is driven by, you know, whatever the spirit of the piece of architecture is in some way. So um, it's also about um, understanding form and understanding how to light something so it has great aesthetics and you know if something has a texture or has a has a um a sense of uh whimsy we'll we'll follow that and we'll create something you know um you know that it translates things translate very well uh from an aesthetic standpoint it's 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 about sculpture that's not moving you know dance is kinetic sculpture architecture usually is um sculpture that's sitting you know and so we might create uh, movement in the light because that's the spirit of the building or something they're looking for, you know. So it just depends on the project. But yes, we've done a lot of things at NJPAC, uh, just to reference that. Uh, we've had a great relationship. Uh, NJPAC, the New Jersey Performing Arts Center in Newark, um, we've worked with them over 10 years. And uh, as one of the resident lighting designers, there's lots of designers that work in and out of the building. Um, but we do a lot of things there um, and have over the years and have a great relationship. Concerts, theater, um, dance, uh, a lot of architectural special projects. Um, it's been a great relationship. So those guys are a lot of fun. A lot of their work there is uh, based on the, you know, is their education department, uh, working with kids and local students, especially in the summer. Um, a lot of their student projects, which are really great fun. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's definitely in the spirit of, of bringing folks in. Um, you know, of course, there's also a business model that needs to be um, followed. You know, it's also a producing organization, right? So they bring in shows, they produce the show, they sell tickets, they need to make money so they can produce other things. Also, well, they can continue to be a community center. Exactly. Because the community things money to do it. don't necessarily make money. <laughs> Correct. So um, I understand their balance of, of projects um, just to be able to continue to drive ultimately their mission statement. Uh, and we like to be a part of that, you know, and if that means um, helping them in some way and driving our designs in a way that are cost effective or helping them in, um, you know, in terms of fees and things, you know, we have a relationship with them that allows us to ebb and flow with what their goals are. And we, we're happy to do that. All right. What are some of the other architectural projects you've done? Uh, architecturally right now, a, a, a really fun one is Central New York Central Synagogue. Uh, on 55th and Lexington. Um, it is a renovation project. Uh, basically, th when we came in, they showed us the room, and there were over 800, 100-watt lamps in just the main sanctuary, although stunningly beautiful. I mean, it literally is one of the most beautiful um, houses of worship in New York City, if not the world. And when we came in and saw it, it was like, well, what is it that you want to do? They express to us the um, significance of their electric bill. Mm. It, you know, millions. 
Yeah. We'd like, we'd like to bring this down. Millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah. And um, it wasn't just about the main sanctuary. It was about all the floors and all the, you know, all the things that, you know, the community spaces and things that they have. Um, and they have a very, very strong uh, group there that really was concerned about aesthetics um, in terms of the light and the warmth of the light and the spirit of the light. Uh, but they needed a, a, t- a team to work with them um, to guide them through the technology and through um, the development of what was going on with other um, energy uh, efficient sources so that we could not improve upon the lighting necessarily, although we did. <laughs> and I think that they will they would acknowledge that. Um, but that we were just trying to get it to a place where they could just not spend so much money on electricity, you know. God bless Con Ed, but, you know, how much more do they need from us, right? So um, so it's been a more than a two-year project. It continues. It's not complete. We, they're, we are waiting on technology to catch up a little bit. So um, what we've done so far is, is literally um, uh, replace certain fixtures, uh, things that are enclosed. Uh, we found that we could replace uh, with very little adjustment to visual impact. Um, things that are uh, exposed, like chandeliers, um, lamps that are exposed. We weren't as happy with the current options for, um, you know, it wasn't just all LED, but in this particular instance, LED fixtures, lamp replacements that um, just didn't give us the visual that we were very happy with and uh, didn't give us that, you know, warm shift down on dimmer and all the things that were a part of the spirit of this synagogue. So, um there were some things, you know, a lot of architectural downlight um, that was done with, you know, lots, you know, lots and lots of 1K um, parkans, you know, just par 64s. Um, literally, I think it was 60 to 80,000 watts that were running constantly all day long. Um, in one fail swoop, we had a solution that, you know, we replaced them all um, with, uh, you know, uh, warm white pars, LED pars, and you could feel the the tension on the power grid on 55th street just like exhale you know? <laughs> um but visually it's uh it's imperceptible you know and even to me i mean i have a pretty um and i think we all do especially as lighting designers we have a pretty keen eye when it comes to led white right okay. and um so it took time to research and really um, make the right decisions about fixture choices and things that were really going to do this and not um, flavor the look of the room, and uh, so far so good. We're having a great time. So that's that's a whole other piece of the puzzle. A, war, a white light renovation project um, that uh, that's is very about impressive. technology. You know, yeah. So. So and uh, one of the spire on the on One World Trade. Yeah, our involvement in the spire ultimately was working with um, the great folks at Barbizon Lighting. Um, they drove the engineering of the spire. Um, our involvement was. Uh, uh, working with them uh, to help communicate to the owners ultimately the capabilities of the of the spire um, around commissioning time. So, some presets, some demos, and some creation of looks and things. Um, uh, ultimately, the owners are the designers these days. They they create the looks they want. They have full control of the spire, and so um, they're doing what they're going to do down there. Uh, but we were involved in sort of the commit last stages of commissioning. Uh, to develop some looks for them, so that was, that was exciting. I tell you, climbing around the top was of World Trade Center, <laughs> <laughs> you know, above the clouds, high. yeah, yes. things you know, things you don't get to do every day. No, so. 
I'll say, you know, my question and sort of the sort of tr- troubles I've had as I have tried to step into architectural projects is the the paperwork and the, like the design process is the same, but the explaining to your team how to do that thing that you want is completely different. Yeah. How did how how do you handle that from an architectural standpoint? Yeah. You know, I didn't go to school for architectural lighting. You know, I'm a theatrical lighting designer that gets asked to do architectural lighting. And I think that often architects um, and owners are interested in occasionally working outside their normal box of collaborators, right? So um, I think we can bring a different sort of spirit to the table than uh, maybe a different architectural lighting designer. That's that's what they do all the time. I'm sure that, I mean, they all do great work, but... Um, sometimes it's, you know, just that change in spirit is what a project needs. So um, from an integration standpoint, uh, so I, I, you know, I'm not an architectural engineer at all um, or a systems engineer, in fact. But I have great collaborators that I work with who know that who those are. worlds yeah. that are um, and have my back. And I can go to them and develop something and say, am I completely out of crazy here by doing these things? You know, can this, this work? Can this work? How yeah. would this integrate? Um, and so those relationships have allowed me to be able to be confident in what I present as solutions for these projects, you know. Sometimes it's nice to have those backers with you, the, the people oh, that yeah. you have as friends in this industry and the people that you know are the ones, I, I don't know, I just find that there's nobody that really stands alone anymore. No, we I have would, to yeah. use everyone around us for that, and I mean it's great to have that that ability to collaborate with somebody who has the the knowledge to to move your ideas forward. I'm very honest about it. Yeah. I, I it's not what I know, you know. Right. Um, and uh, I, when architectural projects come up, I often say uh, to whoever the client is, you know, this is how I work, and these are the teams that I like to work with from a systems integration standpoint. Um, and this is the way I, you know, this is the way I, I would like to do it. And nine times out of 10, they, they, they get it, you know, that's good. Uh, But yeah, you got to share the fee a little bit sometimes, you know, unless I'm willing to go learn all that stuff. And and, (laughs) which is also expensive in its own way. (laughs) Absolutely. And honestly, um, time consuming, you know, I just, I don't think I'd be very good at it. It's just not, it's not in my wheelhouse, you know, so. Well, if it's not um, what you love, too. And I think from a collaborative standpoint, it's great that people are passionate about systems yeah. integration. Let them be, and then we'll all oh. work greatly together, you know, so. I know you've also worked at the White House. I have had the great opportunity of working at our nation's White House, yes. So I, I feel like that's going to be a pretty rare occasion for most people. Can you want to tell us a little bit about, a little bit about that? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit. Um, you know, I'm... You know, we're all sworn to crazy amounts of secrecy about of that course. place. So I, 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 I say that in advance of, um, of all of this. But, uh, you know, it's an incredible honor to be able to light uh, events for the president of the United States. Um, you know, I've worked with a, a number of decor designers and event producers uh, there at the White House. And um, it's uh, every time is like the first time. You know, it's the people that work there are incredibly talented and passionate about that room and that building. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it comes with a certain level of delicacy and spirit. You know, of course, we are doing it uh, for it's, you know, we're communicating 
our relationship with another nation. So everything that's done on a, on a state dinner, as you might imagine, is done in a way with a, a, a knowledge and a spirit of, you know, building that relationship. So um, we want everybody to look good. We want everybody to be in a space that feels good. We want to tell a story, of course, about, you know, this relationship between our nation and another nation. Um, and, uh, and then there's the operational side. Um, I, I won't say much, but it's, if you might imagine working um, in a glass house, doing things like truss and gear and equipment and it, it you know it is uh, likely to be one of the most stressful venues I can tell you that I've ever worked in um, but also is incredibly um, uh, incredibly rewarding um, just from a just from a you know personal happiness standpoint I love doing them I love creating them. Um, you're not going to make any money doing a White House State Dinner. I no. can tell you that. Uh, hear it here. You know, you yeah. don't make money lighting for the government, but that's, um, but it's, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's like an incredible walking, honor. It's know? not like walking into any other venue that you would walk into here in New York. It's, it's, a, it's, there's something different. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, and so I love, <laughs> it's a special building. And now after having done an, um, I guess I can say many of them, um, I've done five state dinners since Obama has been in. And uh, they all have had a different spirit, all have had a different challenge, all have had a different um, uh, a different thing. And uh, they're, they're all, they've all been great experiences for me. So I've learned a lot working there and with all the incredible decor designers that I've worked with there who've, who brought me there. What excites you right now about lighting technology? I think the ability to, you know, I, I say about three years ago, I was excited about the gear. Now I'm excited about how we control the gear, how we think and create using all of this technology, but think and create in a way that's natural, right? So three years ago, it was like, wow, we've got all these LEDs and we've got seven color strip lights and we've got a moving light that has... 75 control channels. It's like, wow, it does all these things. But then you come down to the realization that the way you work is changing because you have all this stuff you got to control. And so at the moment, I'm really focused on controls, right? I'm really interested in the work and how we talk to all this technology, how we, once it's in the rig and it's patched and it's focused and it's been specified and designed and integrated and we're sitting out there in the house or in a venue or wherever we are with, you know, your programmers and your team, you know, how do you talk to all this gear in a way that um, doesn't get, it doesn't allow the gear to get in the way, right? How do we talk to all this equipment in a way that feels like a paintbrush, right? I started this whole crazy wacky thing as a, you know, as a visual, young visual artist, and I loved the simplicity of a white canvas and a bucket of paint and, you know, creating, right? Or a piece of stone with a chisel and you create something. So how do we get to the simplicity of process that all these other visual artists have as lighting designers? How do we get back to that using these com incredibly complex uh, equipment tools? So right now it's about controls. That's where I'm focused right now. And I think there are... Um, you know what? And to call them out, electronic theater controls, in my opinion, is really focused on um, uh, creating a, an environment of control that is comfortable, that is um, flexible, that is 
um, emotional. And um, some of the things they're doing right now with color controls that are about to come out um, are are unlike anything anyone else is doing. So um, controls are my thing. I I have how frustrating is it to be in this incredibly creative space and you've got an incredibly creative director or choreographer and a team and you're having to speak incredibly technically. It's just, it doesn't work for me. So um, that's what I'm excited about is, is controls and how do we have all this great technology and these great tools um, but be able to talk to them in a way that's um, emotionally driven. If I could plug a... DMX port into my heart or into my brain in some way. You know, I mean, that sounds silly and it's, you know, um, naive probably, but how do we, how do we get closer to that? That's what I'm excited about. No, I, I mean, I get it. Um, yeah. uh, so I, what, what is your relationship with programmers like? Well, my lighting designers all at arc three are all programmers. <laughs> so that helps tremendously. Everybody on my team are exceptional programmers. They're the best that I've ever worked with. And so um, we spend time learning new desks. We spend time focusing on setting systems up. Uh, and so my associates become my programmers. And so it, it just becomes a natural process. And they, you know, um, for example, we just did uh, Georgia on my mind at the Venetian Hotel in Las Vegas, which was a tribute concert theater production uh, tribute to Ray Charles. It's a great, super fun show. Um, and my programmers and associates were Zachariah Alalami and Roya Abab, um, production design by Greg Purnell, all ARC3 team. And so everyone's designing, everyone is programming, everyone's in it. It's n There's no separation between the guy behind the desk and the guy next to the desk. Everyone's working in a similar um sort of push to create the show. And that's the environment I like to set up. I found that that has worked, you know, of course there's got to be some guy, you know, whether it's me or Zach or Roy or Greg or whomever is at the front of the table who's deciding ultimately where we're going. Sure. Um, but uh, I really like, you know, once you have a team of folks that all sort of think in a similar way, putting everyone, you know, giving everyone a path, giving everyone a goal and a spirit and a, and a look and seeing it all kind of come together as they create it, it's great fun. And so that's the way I like to it's work. It's the most exciting fun, actually. Yeah. Well, it's the part yeah. where you sit there going, oh, my God, I made this. I made this, you know, and look at what we've done together and look at what we have created. Yeah. And there, there is a great joy in that. Yeah, and it took me 15 years to feel like I could, quote, unquote, take my guard down. Sure. But it wasn't my cue. It wasn't my... I don't care. I mean, it's. I want just the great. You know, I want us to be able to create this great moment on stage, and so the ego has to go. It does. It really <laughs> does. You know, and well, so, that and the relationship has to be created. Absolutely. Where everyone feels safe that they're not going to get smacked down for saying something. Correct. Yeah, and I I like to surround myself with people that I truly love and I truly trust, and know that they are you know just as powerful a collaborator on the project as I am. So, right. And that's my relationship with a programmer. All right. Um, you sort of already answered this already, but um, I know you said that you know, it frustrates you to not be able to know how to get to the place you want to be sometimes. What frustrates you right now about lighting technology? What do you want to see change? I think that um, I think there's good and bad about what's happening in terms of uh, the race 
the LED race, if you will, right? So, um, you know, it, it's a situation where there's so much product out there right now, and there's such a broad range of quality of product um, that you get into venues and you get into shops, um, and your tools are either really, really great or mediocre, right? Because the the the, the race towards quality, um, you know, it's uh, it's this race towards the quality keeps increasing, and uh, the the same race is towards decreasing price, right? So the price is going down and the quality is going up, and but in the middle there's going to be you know a, a pocket of product that um, is not really good at anything, and that's probably going to be the qual- the product that everyone buys. So, you know, it's, it is, um, there's a lot of product out there right now. And I like to work with a certain range of products and, um, my vendors that I work with primarily, um, carry those products, which I'm very happy for. Um, but there are also situations where we get where, um, there's just a lot of mediocre product out there Mm -hmm. and shops are investing, um, not necessarily in the best product. And it's business. It's numbers. It's, it's dollars numbers. and cents, right? Yeah. Uh, but they invest in a product they know that will move. And so, eighty, maybe eighty percent of our, uh, not to put down any lighting designers out there because everyone's working and doing great work, but there is a market for a mediocre product. It's there true. is. It's true. And um, whether or not, and then some of it, some of it is is momentum, like we've always used to absolutely build the brand. Some of it is yeah, right. Um, you know, price consciousness, although, you know, it's always shocking to me how good product you can get for what, you know, for the, for the price, if you sort of make a deal or, yeah. you know, or, or just, or just, or just look, you know, the things, the things you can find. Yeah. So, um, you know, I tend to be frustrated with, um, mediocrity cause I know that superior stuff is out there and it's, it's part of being a lighting designer, making a production based on a budget and based on goals of a, you know, larger goals, but, um, it's just a lot of product out there. Before, you know, 10 years ago, you had Source 4s and you had Strand Shakespeare's and you either had, you know, CD80 dimmers and or Celicon. sensors. And Celicon. I love Celicon yeah. in Europe. Yeah, it really um, was very popular. It's a great looking light, actually. I used yeah. them in Paris for the first time at Mesa, at uh, um, uh, this great outdoor arena space that we did. And I was like, what is this light? It's got this weird thing sticking off the side. And I turned it on. It was like... Whoa. Okay. Yeah, and, was, the, and, the, and the template, and it will last for a year. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> amazing. amazing. Um, so you know, there were just weren't le- uh, just weren't a lot of options ten years ago. You know, high end Verilite, Martin was starting to get onto the into the theater market, um, and there are just so many manufacturers now. There are so many options. We're so it, flooded. It's we're flooded. We're flooded. And so that's frustrating to me because, uh, you know. I like to, I like to work with a certain pocket of. I like. I miss the days of. There's only four players in the game, and they're all doing really great work and creating really great things. And um, it's just the nature of it. Sure. I don't want to say that the flooding of the market is bad globally. Um, I will say that it's good because it it is pushing everybody. It's pushing the race. Is the race is good because the technology is moving fast, and so. I love that everyone is is in their workshops and pushing and trying to create new things. And you go to the conferences and you're like, wow, look at what this guy made. A and nice positive swing on that. Yeah. <laughs> I 
what, do you, what effect do you think that's going to have? I think that um, we'll probably see a plateau. You know, we've seen a few years of incredible um, increase in uh, capability, and I'd say in the last three years, I think three years prior to that, we didn't see really much happening. You know, the LED, it was the race of the LED Leco for a number of years, um, and now we're seeing, you know, it's going to be the race of the LED moving light. That's inevitably right. next. Um, and so uh, LED profile moving light, I'll say. We've certainly got more wash lights than we know what to do with at this point. Exactly. We have uh, more than we know what to do yeah. with at this point. <laughs> we have quite a few. Yeah. So it's um, – I think we'll see a plateau. You know, I think this, the smart companies are the ones that are uh, building and manufacturing and engineering um, all at home. You know, the ones that are using 9 million companies from all over the world are likely um, looking at different kind of risk. You know, um, so yeah. Having recently t- walked the floors of Madison, Wisconsin, um, at our friends, lighting friends over there, uh, it's pretty amazing to see them make everything right there. Right there. In in Madison, Madison, well, have you been to Verilite? Great. Uh, I have been to Verilite. And yeah. you're going to go to have a meeting at Verilite, and you yeah. they take you out, you know, out the door and in onto the shop floor where every single part of every single fixture is being constructed right there. It's a different pretty experience amazing. from the well. Well, we import the thing completely from another country, and then we slap our name on it. And yeah. Right. Totally. It's totally made in the USA, you know, too, which I think is great. Um, you know, I miss the sort of, I, mean, I hate to call them mom and pop, but I'm, I miss the sort of um, sensibility of, like, Meyer Sound. John Meyer, I don't know if you've been to their laboratories in uh, Berkeley, California, but you know, it literally is, he's still got a garage where he's covered in sound foam, and he goes in there and Makes stuff, plays with things, yeah, and, and finds I love stuff that, that spirit. And it ultimately makes its way onto this, you know, beautiful manufacturing floor and laboratories and all the things that they have there to test and create quality audio equipment. Um, but there's that sort of spirit of what's going on at a manufacturer like that that I love, you know. Well, it seems to me in some ways like Arc Three has sort of taken a similar path where it's you know you've decided not to grow past the point where. You can't know what it's doing and you can't know what each individual job is. You know, you're not going to be there for every individual job, but where you don't know, you know, where there could be a job happening and that you're just vaguely aware of. Yeah, you have no clue about. No, I totally, I totally agree with that. You know, I I want it to be something that feels personal and always personal. ARC3 design, you know, ARC3, those are my initials, Albert Robert Crawford. And I'm the third. My father and my grandfather are both Alberts. And so... You know, it was a name I came up with literally in high school. And then, you know, I came back to it. I was like, ah, that's one. still my company. <laughs> we have one of those two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Taj. Taj is yeah. Teresa and Jason, yeah. if you haven't figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> not, not this Jason, yeah. no, by the way. A different Jason. Um, so, you know, it's, it is personal, right? And so uh, I want it to remain personal for sure. So it seems that in addition to everything else, you're also an educator. So you teach. Didn't have enough to do. Your adjunct <laughs> faculty at uh, in Connecticut. Uh, I've did three years at Connecticut. I'm not currently there. Okay. Um, I uh, I really enjoyed my time uh, teaching in the master's program at UConn uh, up in Stores. Uh, I met an incredible group of students. Um, so I got to see a class come in, and then three years see them graduate, which was wow. an incredible experience. Um, and and many of them. Um, now freelance with ARC3. And uh, so it's been great to see folks, you know, come through that program, 
uh, be influenced maybe a little bit by things that they might have learned in classes with me, uh, and then ultimately um, some of them working with me now, which is really great. So, um, yeah, I love education. I'm. I think I'm getting. Um, you know, I love talking about this industry. I love talking about you know our processes, and and I think that um, uh, it's something I'm very comfortable with. You know, talking to students and working with students and young designers, and um, I'm very interested in internships and um, assistantships and and those kinds of things. Um, we do. We have internships at Arc Three. We have internships at Alvin Ailey. We have the Gilbert Hemsley Lighting Internship through Lincoln Center, which I'm a part of. Um, with the well, company as well, which is a really, really great program. Uh, so yeah, education. Uh, I love doing you know talks at LDI and USITT and um, stuff like this. I think it's great, important because I um, I think it's uh, you know just to hear people working in our industry talk about our industry mm-hmm. uh, was something that was very much missing um, from uh, you know the available things to listen to or to read. Uh, so I think this is really great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, I, I know a you know recent uh, Helmsley um, recipient. So I want to ask you a little little bit about what its purpose is and who should apply for it. Uh, the Gilbert Helmsley Lighting Internship. Just to give a little background, uh, Gilbert was a lighting designer. Um, worked at the Metropolitan Opera. Did a lot of dance and theater. Um, uh, this internship uh, is dedicated to him uh, in the spirit of his. Um, giving. Um, he was very, again, um, very interested in students and education and, and um, creating an environment of learning uh, around his uh, his projects and his work. So uh, this internship that was created 20, oh my God, I think we're almost 20, couple, 20 and a few years old. Um, and its purpose is to allow an intern to work with a variety of these companies that um, work with the internship. Um, now at this particular moment, it's New York City Ballet, um, the San Francisco Opera, Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, Lincoln Center Festival. And um, there's a couple other opportunities. Sometimes uh, they get an opportunity to work in some of the studios of lighting designers. Um, we've certainly had uh, the Helmsley intern work at ARC3. Uh, I know Ken Bellington's office, et cetera. So um, they get a lot of great opportunity just to spend a year Working with all these companies, um, they get a stipend um, to help you know keep them living, and they work as second assistants on all the projects that are going on at all these respective companies. Um, so it's an incredible opportunity for a young lighting designer. Um, it is usually um, a postgraduate lighting design student. It is not always a postgraduate lighting design student. We've certainly had people apply and um, get the internship who came right out of undergraduate, and they had a great experience. So it's uh, the applications usually are happening right about now, which is December, January, uh, and they apply, and there's a interview process. Um, and there's also a portfolio review, which is really great for the applicants, whether or not they ultimately get the internship or not. The portfolio review is a day-long get-together of lighting designers and electricians and industry folks, um, and we do roundtable discussions and we look at portfolios and we have a presentation, and it's a very um, uh, very collaborative uh, opportunity for the students and the professionals to interact. Um, and we hope that those opportunities 
turn into long-term relationships ultimately. So um, it's, uh, you know, Mark Stanley at the New York City Ballet has is um, really driven this uh, internship over the last 20 years, but there's an incredible board of directors that has been um, very passionate about it. And so um, it continues to grow and to become, you know, a really powerful and wonderful thing for a student. That's awesome. I think we're coming towards the end here. Is there like one big thought you want to give out to everybody? Is there anything that you want to say before we wrap up? I think it's, uh, and I try to say this to students a lot, um, if I have the opportunity. You know, I think there's, I think lighting design has become very popular as a career, right? So when I was in school, there was maybe six universities around the nation that taught lighting design, you know, and, and when everyone graduated, you know, it was maybe eight or 10 lighting designers were moving to New York and they were the ones working and kind of all working towards getting opportunities. It seems like now there's, um, you know, a lot of universities that are teaching lighting design. It's become a very popular thing. The industry is growing, which is great. Um, but, you know, we're graduating a lot of folks and a lot of folks are flooding the industry in an interesting way. Um, and I think, uh, having talked to a lot of students, I think it's becoming frustrating to them because the competition, um, is a different, it's a different thing than it was 25 years ago because there's just so many lighting designers. And I will say that, um, you know, regardless of that frustration and that stress, it is an amazing, amazing industry to be in. It's a great job to be a lighting designer. It's, I mean, I think, you know, sitting in a room with two other, I think we'd all agree, what else would we do, right? <laughs> this is our- it's been a question. This, right. This is a passion. This is the thing that, you know, that curtain goes up and you see that moment of theater that was created by something that you put together and you, you dreamed in your head and you were able to create that moment on stage using something as powerful as light. I mean, what a great gig we got. So- it's worth it. It's worth the stress. It's worth the fight. It's worth staying up at night and drafting all night long. And um, I'm having a great time. And I think, you know, a lot of my colleagues that I work with um, that I'm inspired by continue to be inspired by. Um, I love seeing the work that they're doing. And um, it's just a really fun moment to be a lighting designer. And I'm happy to be a part of it. So. I'll drink to that. Amen. <laughs> so just to remind us, what's the web address for ARC3? Uh, Arc3Design, A-R-C, the number three, design.com, all one word. And we're also on Twitter at Arc3Design. Okay. Thanks very much for joining us, Al. Totally my pleasure. Thanks this a lot. This has been absolutely fabulous. Thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us on the first episode of the Casting Light Podcast for 2015. Thank you to our incredible guest, Al Crawford. Don't forget to visit him and his company on the web at arc3design.com. Thank you to my co-host, Teresa Unfried. Don't forget to visit her and her company on the web at tajavenproductions.com. I'm your host, Jason Marin, and I want to remind you to visit Casting Light on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at Podcasting Light, and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and have a good show. 